Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and today we are concluding a short Advent series called The King Shall Come. You can find out more about this, of course, on the foundation resources at wellscongregationalservices.net. One thing to note today, and I'm sure preachers and worship planners already have, and you probably made these plans quite a while ago, uh, is that the fourth Sunday in Advent falls on December 24th in 2023. Schedules with respect to preaching will be different, I think, in different congregations. Some pastors may be preaching Sunday morning, Advent 4, Sunday evening, Christmas Eve, Monday morning for Christmas Day, but others may be having another kind of service for one or more of those, uh, for instance, a service of lessons and carols or a children's service. But in any case, here's our plan. Uh, we will comment today on the gospel for Advent 4, and then in our next episode, will combine Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So we'll say a little bit about Luke 2 and a little bit about John 1. Well, let's meet our participants uh, throughout this series and our upcoming Christmas series as well. Pastor Nathan Beege from Victory of the Lamb Lutheran Church in Katy, Texas. Pastor Caleb Shanick from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in College Station, Texas. And with us also today is a uh, former Texan, uh, David Bivens, who teaches New Testament now at our seminary and serves here on the Pastoral Studies Institute. Uh, so thank you all for being with us today and um, helping preachers look at the Annunciation. Um, Caleb, let's get started with you. How are you expressing the theme for this week for worshipers in your congregation? The theme in the foundation resources would say um, that the king shall come just as God promised. Uh, if, if I were to uh, be preaching at an evening engagement with this text, which wouldn't be likely, but, but I could, part, I could uh, envision myself saying, uh, greeting the congregation by saying something like, I'm full after having just had a, a nice meal with the congregation before the service. And uh, you've got that sense of being full from having just eaten a meal, uh, but then that kind of transitions into the thought of emotionally, mentally, practically, my schedule is just full right now with Christmas activities, parties, concerts for my kids, uh, end of the year stuff, school, everything. It's, it's just full. And so uh, th this text, uh, this Sunday, really provides an opportunity uh, to be filled with the thing that we crave, um, to be filled with Jesus and the promises that he brings. And so it's it's no surprise that uh, the lectionary puts a nice um, set of texts together. Uh, obviously, the, the gospel reading will be a focus today, um, but then the, the Old Testament pointing ahead to the revealed promise of God uh, coming in Jesus Christ, the, the epistle pointing back, saying that he has been revealed, and uh, here's the promise. Um, we're, it, his promise is fulfilled, uh, and the king, the king is coming. Uh, and we have a, a great, a great launch uh, into Christmas at the conclusion of Advent. Thank you for that summary, uh, Nate. Could we go to you next? Um, we're going to be focusing on the gospel, but could you brief us on the first and second readings, or remind preachers of what those are? Yeah, so the first reading is the, the 2 Samuel 7, familiar text where David desires a, a godly thing. He wants to build a, a temple for the Lord. 
and the Lord responds in a way we would not expect, which is the usual way he does things, by saying, no, you're not going to build a house for me. Rather, I am going to build a house for you. And the fulfillment of that promise ultimately was in that David's house, his, his dynasty would last forever and that Christ's kingdom would never end. And the, the angel Gabriel talked about that in the gospel, Luke 1, with the, his words, the throne of his father David will be something that will last. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. And although Mary and David shared bloodlines, they certainly did not have the same life situation by any means as far as earthly power and, and wealth are concerned. And yet the Lord both to both of them gave them something they, they didn't deserve and yet yet could enjoy. And so God, God could do anything he wants. And the Second Samuel 7 text really fits in well with the, the enunciation to Mary as far as thinking about that. And then along that same line of thinking God could do anything he wants, Romans 16, the, the doxology there of that, that glorious book that, that comes through very strong, that he is able to establish you in accordance with his gospel. That's the, the first words of verse 25 there. And in these words from Paul, he's always powerful to strengthen us. And even though we might not be powerful to strengthen ourselves, in fact, rarely are we powerful to strengthen ourselves, God is able to do things we cannot do. And that is something wonderful to keep in mind, which, of course, in his different attributes that are listed in the, that short three verses, that he's eternal, that he's wise, that he's powerful, and, of course, loving with the gospel. He is mysterious, but reveals that mystery when and where he wants and the ultimate goal of it all is that as many as possible are saved. And in Romans, there the connection specifically is made to, to the Gentiles, to all people. That Jesus is not just a savior for, for the Jews or for, for the Israelites, but, but for the Romans and, and for all. So I think that would be two, two good connections with, with Luke 1 and the, the monstrous announcement the angel made that really was a long time in the making and has lasting impact. Yeah, the kingdom connections kind of run through uh, the three readings, don't they? Um, well, let's get to the gospel for the day then. Luke 1, 26 to 38. Dave, could you get us started on our discussion of the text? Uh, we're assuming preachers have done their text study, but could you share some additional thoughts as they continue with their sermon writing? Sure, happy to happy to be a part of this conversation. I mean, we turn our attention to to the gospel on a, on Advent four, and as you mentioned in kind of the the opening notes, uh, Christmas by this time is certainly on the mind of everyone. Um, Advent is coming to a close, and you think of all the the Christmas trappings that are going on in, in society uh, by the time you hit the the 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd of, of, of December. And so it's a great text to kind of say the time is, is here. It's, it's ready. We're ready. And the question that are in people's minds is how is this going to come to pass? How, how does this happen? And as we look at this opening chapter of, of Luke, uh, Luke is explaining exactly that to, to Theophilus. Um, he's 
explaining, laying out in a historical way, uh, how this miracle of Christmas could come to pass. And it's one of those things where even though we have the Old Testament prophecies, um, you can't help but think that in the mind of the culture and context of the New Testament world, they're waiting to see how is this all going to come to be? And if you were to summarize these words, it's really um, God intervening in history and saying the time is is now. So I'm sending my spokesperson. I'm spending I'm sending Gabriel, uh, who who you just met in the previous section, uh, announcing the birth of John. Now I'm sending Gabriel to a uh, a virgin in Galilee and letting her know that something truly miraculous uh, is happening. And so, what do you do with a with this text, I think that you have this interplay between Gabriel and Mary. Uh, we're introduced to Mary, and obviously we know just how important uh, she is in the, the story and the account. Um, I think as we wrestle with the text, uh, we're all aware that, that there are many in, in America and many that are uh, maybe not all that familiar with scripture that, that think that Mary is someone that should be venerated, that should be worshiped even. And so maybe a, a question is, well, what do you do with that greeting um, from Gabriel to Mary? Uh, you who are most highly favored is frequently the translation that's given. Um, and so we can talk a little bit about, about what does Gabriel mean by calling Mary that? Um, I think Nate did a good job of bringing in the Old Testament overtones that are evident throughout this section, um, which again, for the pious a Jew who is waiting for the, the culmination of so many events, um, wondering how is this going to come to pass for Gabriel to come and make a reference to uh, uh, the throne of David. It's got everyone's ears perking up um, for him to refer to Mary as the Parthenon, as the virgin. Um, overtones from Isaiah are certainly in the picture. And all of a sudden you've seen how God is starting to tie together all the Old Testament promises with this time and with this place. Um, and so the Old Testament background is very evident. Um, and then we turn to Mary's reaction. And it's so interesting to note that um, in the previous section, you have a doubting Zechariah who is chastised. <laughs> and in this section, uh, you have Mary who answers, asks the question, well, how will this happen? How will this come to be? but isn't chastised, but mm -hmm. is, is simply saying the Lord has it under control. And so I think that reminds us as we're looking at uh, um, dealing with incredible promises that are in God's word that are for the ages, for including us. Um, it's okay to ask questions because you can do that without doubting more as a, a sign of just, I, I'm curious how this is going to play out, Lord, uh, but I have every confidence that if you say so, um, it will be. So I'll stop there for now, and maybe we can jump into some more of those things as we go through this. Yeah, thanks for that summary, helping us think through the, the section in the narrative here. Um, well, um, as you approach this text uh, from the perspective of law and gospel, what are some thoughts that you have? Um, I, to me, um, you know, this is... Uh, talking about salvation history or this critical moment when things are culminating now, the, the Son of God is coming into human flesh. Um, so part of the backdrop of that is, well, why is this necessary? I mean, kind of uh, opens up a window to um, God intervening in a fallen world. 
and and those thoughts in regard to a malady or a sin issue. But let me hear your thoughts, um, Caleb, Nate. Um, how would you approach this text? Law, gospel themes, starting with the law. Ideas for preachers that um, can help get them thinking? Caleb? John, you said, uh, why why is this necessary? Um, there, You know, there's a, for Mary, when she asks that question, she's she's thinking of it in terms of possibility. Uh, she's a virgin, and and so how is it possible? Um, I, I wonder if sometimes when we go back to the necessity of this moment, uh, that sin is at the, the at the root of it. If we don't just make it a bit more personal, uh, when when we ask the same question, why, but frame it, why would why would God do this for me? Mm-hmm. Um, why would why would He send His Son? through a virgin um well in the first place okay for sin but then but then why would he do it for for me um and uh just just bring it the the probability that somebody would have you know okay so god all things are possible with him but the probability that there would be a divine being who cares enough about me um yeah even even me why would he do this for me yeah good thought nate um any thoughts about preaching the law from this text or this context? I think I would address the the big point of the fact that Mary believed it. And we, we have an example earlier in Luke chapter one of a very godly mm-hmm. priest who did not believe it. Right. And Mary did not raise her hand and say, wait a second here, God, you didn't consult me about any of this. You didn't. Give me um, the details about how this is all going to work. I've got lots of reasons why I don't think it's going to work. And I mean, maybe even just the simple sin we all fall into so quickly, which is just because I can't make this happen, that must also mean God can't make it happen. The, the sin where we forget that God can certainly do things we we cannot do. And uh, I think it's somewhat familiar, the, the Martin Luther Christmas book, or, or the comments that Luther has about a lot of nativity things. That's just such a precious read this time of year there, as you're getting ready for Christmas and all these different things, uh, the, the texts of the nativity and the Annunciation and, and so on. But uh, in there, he talks about the, the different miracles connected with this, that a virgin was going to have a baby, that God would take flesh, and that Mary believed it. Mm-hmm. And Luther's take on it was that the third one was the greatest miracle of the three. If you could rank miracles that the fact that Mary believed this is because our hearts are so naturally hard and doubting towards God and his word that uh, it's just a tremendous miracle that that Mary believed it. And so I think Mm -hmm. the law point I would bring out mostly would be, we assume that I'm the sturdy one and that God is the one who is erratic and untrustworthy and all over the place. When of course the opposite is true, and and uh, this is a, a great text to to really attack that that attitude. Okay, so kind of contrasting uh, us with Mary, um, her faith and the miracle that's there, versus our doubt. Yeah, and maybe as uh, you and Dave both mentioned, kind of recalling Zechariah uh, and his doubt uh, prior to this. Uh, Dave, some ideas. Yeah, just thinking about the, the, 
a, a general proclamation of the law is where we we arrive when we're just meditating on on what we as Christians, people who have grown up in the Christian church, maybe are. We we know this account and we we treasure the fact that uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. Um, we those who grow up in a parochial school, you know, have, have memorized these recitations, but to really lead our people to think through that the miraculous intervening into history that produces uh, Emmanuel um, is far different than any other um, descendant that we could create. So, you know, the, the fact that Jesus had to be born of a virgin and it had to be uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit really is a preaching of the law to our sinful flesh that thinks that we could find a way out of the mess that we are in. Uh, there is no naturally conceived um, child that could ever be our savior. There is no uh, humanly, uh, purely human, I should say, or, or uh, um, I, I just go with natural conceived um, individual in this world that has a human father and a human mother uh, because then original sin would have taken its toll. And it just is a preaching of the gospel to say we needed someone to, or a preaching of the law, excuse me, that we needed someone to intervene as such. Uh, so maybe just leading our people to see how a miracle speaks to um, the terrible situation in which mankind was in. Okay. Well, those are some good ideas. I think we'll get preachers thinking about uh, law and gospel. Speaking of which, let's go to the gospel emphasis particular to this text, um, or let me say, which gospel emphasis particular to this text do you uh, like to bring out, or what are you thinking of as you uh, anticipate preaching on uh, this gospel? Um, ideas for kind of specific gospel thoughts or a cure uh, to correspond to the malady that we've identified or some possibilities? Um, Caleb, an idea? Yeah. Um, because Mary was great with child, therefore we are great in God's sight because of the child, um, because the child uh, is with us. The, the word is with us. Jesus is, is with us. And uh, so through his taking on human flesh and um, living perfect life in this world, um, he proved himself to be great, but he didn't keep that greatness for himself. He gave it to us. And, uh, and so, yeah, because Mary was great with child, that child makes it possible for us to be great with God. Okay. Um, yeah. And you could say Mary's great child, I suppose, makes us great with God too. Uh, and point to some of the descriptions that Gabriel gives of Jesus, the child that Mary will bear. Uh, good idea. I, other ideas for gospel emphases to bring out in the text? Uh, Nathan? Yeah, I think kind of a further commentary on what Caleb said there, being great with God, that the angel told Mary she was highly favored, even if she wasn't highly favored by any earthly ruler or didn't have anybody beating down the path to her door because they just wanted to go look at her and, and be by her because she's just so impressive and influential. Uh, no one was doing that as far as we know from the, the small little Nazareth where she was. And yet God says to, to Gabriel, you are highly favored. 
And if you think of just that that announcement alone, that, that Gabriel had just been in the brilliant heavenly presence of God. And you, you can't get more lofty <laughs> and uh, upper class than that. And he was sent to Mary in the, the small town, being an ordinary young lady, doing ordinary things. And the, the, they were perfect strangers, you could say. And, and yet the, the shocking part is God sent the lofty, high, mighty, just been in the presence of God angel to serve the, the lowly maiden Mary. Mm-hmm. Not, not to taunt her, not to push her around, not even to just say, I'm who I am, you who you are, ha ha. But, but to actually serve her with, with the message. And there's just a lot of gospel there. What, what does our God think of us? What does he do? He dispatches angels and then even his son to, to serve us. Yeah, good thought. Good thought. Uh, Dave, some suggestions for gospel uh, emphases? Yeah, just the just the incredible comfort that there is that we have a God who, who who doesn't forget about His promises, which really speaks to the the theme: the King shall come just as God promised. And I, we have a God who doesn't fail to act. Uh, there's a lot of um, action going on in these verses. Uh, it's interesting when you look at at the words of Gabriel, uh, specifically like 31 through 33 in those verses. All you have there are future tense verbs. And Gabriel's just saying, this is what's going to happen. It, there are, it's not a question. It's really just a, a pulling back a little bit of the curtain, a pulling back of, of, of the future and saying, here's the plan and God's in control. And he's doing this forever, for, for mankind. He's doing this um, because he's true to his word and the sa- it's now time for the Savior to come. And so I just think in a, in, in a time of the year that's always full of frenzy, and full of, of nerves and full of uh, so much agitation, um, the quiet calm of saying, there's someone in control and it doesn't have to be me, it's my God. And he's laid out the plan and here we go. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, that theme of God fulfilling his promises and this uh, huge promise, yeah, here it is coming to fulfillment after so many centuries of waiting and watching. Uh, Caleb, another thought? Yeah, Nate mentioned the uh, the Luther Christmas book, and uh, he, he said something, and I've got the quote right here, um, about just the how Mary was highly favored. Uh, Luther said, Think how she was treated in the inns along the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. She who might have been uh, taken in a golden carriage. How many great ladies and their daughters were at that time living in luxury while the mother of God on foot in midwinter trudged her weight across the fields. How unequal it all was. Um, highly favored. Highly favored. Right. <clears throat> and highly favored in God's eyes looks different than highly favored in the world's eyes. Maybe Luther is getting at uh, something of that there too, right? Absolutely. Right. Um, so uh, as you kind of narrow down a, a central point of a sermon on this text, uh, where do you go? We've mentioned kind of the bigger sweep of salvation history coming to fulfillment. Um, that's maybe the, the theme of the day. The king shall come just as God promised. 
Um, do you focus in a little more narrowly on Mary and um, her humility, her faith, the word of God coming to her? Um, yeah, what are what are your thoughts as to how you will or where the focus will be in this text? Caleb? Uh, one of the things that started to come into focus for me uh, was uh, honing in on verse 37. And um, you know that's a, that's a verse where the NIV 2011 um, goes uh, quite differently than than the NIV 1984 and uh, the King James version that came before it, obviously. But for no word of the Lord will ever fail. That, of course, uh, used to be nothing is impossible with God. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the newer translation is is a bit more literal, actually. And uh, and there, there is a way to see the power of God's word at, at work throughout all of this and how failure isn't an option for God's word. And, and you see the word of God instructing Mary through, through the angel Gabriel's um, uh, instruction, proclamation to her. Um, and if creatures are, have done their text study by consulting the Concordia commentary just on this. I think he refers to Mary as like the first catechumenate, um, which is kind of an interesting concept there. And then, uh, and then, so you've got the instruction of God's word uh, and the incarnation of God's word, uh, two, two things that go right back together there. But, but just the role that God's word plays through all of this, of course, promises made, promises fulfilled, um, but actually seeing how those promises, God's word, um, made and fulfilled to Mary right right in that moment. So um, that, that was one thought that I had as far as narrowing it down and focusing in just using that word word as the mm-hmm. as a hook for organizing the thoughts. Okay, good suggestion. Uh, other thoughts about how to kind of more narrowly focus the sermon or um, what to hone in on? Nate? This one... You might also say it would be perfect for the the Luke 2, if you're preaching on that on on Christmas Eve. But the the question and then the hymn name, what child is this, I think works well as the theme. Mm -hmm. What what child is this, Gabriel, that you're telling me about? That that would be a a good theme to get at the the baby that would be born, the, the kingdom that he would reign over. And then the, uh, the child being God who would cause Mary to believe it all and trust that it, it really was true and for her. So what child is this is, is a possibility. Okay. Great. Um, Dave? Yeah, I, I think that because we're at this, just this critical moment, um, beginning of the New Testament, and you said, taking that global view of salvation history, you know, the, the sweeping path of salvation, we can't help but think of the Old Testament promises that have been made. And now uh, God is intervening and acting as he initiates this uh, New Testament environment. Um, it, it, it's just such a great story. And obviously by using the word story, don't imply that it's fiction, but it's a great account. And so you think of how do, do so many stories that our people know uh, start well once upon a time and so as I read you know this section and spilling into uh, the actual birth of Christ you know once upon a time this amazing thing happened it's really God intervening in history and so I think in, in a way that can kind of be a, a potential way to start a sermon 
uh, asking people to think about their favorite once upon a times that they heard as a child. And now I'll talk about, well, here's one that's real. And, and here's, here's really how God in his time is proving to put the pieces in place in line with his promised word uh, to, to enact the plan of salvation. Um, so that was one thought. And then the other thought I have is just, uh, I guess, a, a Christmasism at times is, or maybe not even just for Christmas, but it, it's better to give than to receive. Um, if you focus on, on Mary um, as a, someone that we can learn from in this account, it, it's better to receive than to give. I think uh, one of the things that makes Mary stand out in this is that her, her willing attitude, she simply receives the news with awe, even though she asks a clarifying question, she's not chastised for it, uh, but um, she, she's receiving it. And so you could talk about how Mary receives um, the Christmas promise and, and the world receives the Christmas grace. Um, so it's better to receive than to give would be a, another way to, to deal with this text. Yeah, all good ideas. Um... I'll just throw one more out there. Uh, the kingdom language. So our, our theme for the series, the king shall come just as God promised. And if you wanted to draw links between the promise given to David, um, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Uh, and then Gabriel says to Mary, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And and maybe there's thoughts there about the just the unusual birth of this king, a completely unique uh, conception and birth, and then how he will reign. Um, again, kind of hidden in weakness, uh, hidden in lowliness, but um, but this is the coming of a king. So there might be thoughts uh, worthwhile for preachers there too. Um, any uh, illustrations, applications, or other thoughts you might share with preachers or things you're thinking of using as you kind of bring these truths home to people? Caleb? Uh, one illustration that could fit together with that verse 37, uh, for no word from God will ever fail. Uh, Gene Krantz, uh, the uh, uh, mission control director for Apollo 13, yeah. uh, the famous line in the movie, failure is not an option. Uh, apparently he didn't actually say that, but he felt that that captured the mood so much that when he wrote a book, he used that as the title for his book. And um, you know, I, I think in that moment, he was just saying, I really want this to happen. Mm -hmm. um, how much more so with, with our God, who it really did happen. Um, his promises did not fail. His words did not fail. Uh, and they never will. Right. Right. Good illustration. Um, any others? I mean, a lot of things you could uh, use as applications for no word from God will ever fail or uh, bringing home the, the promises of God being fulfilled as kind of in our minds, sort of as outlandish as they are, but God is capable of every single one. Dave? Yeah, I was just thinking of, uh, it's obviously not a word for word uh, quote, but uh, nothing is impossible with God or no word of God fails. You think of some other times when Jesus used similar terms, you think of the rich young ruler and nothing is impossible for God. Uh, anytime salvation enters the picture, it is so utterly amazing that we can even be discussing it because for humans, it's absolutely impossible. Um, but for well, when God enters the scene, that which is impossible becomes um, not only possible, but um, realistic. 
And and I think that's a, an amazing thing as God is entering the scene here, um, unveiling his plan. The, the other thought I have is I just thinking of, of the people we're preaching to. Um, Christmas is a stressful time of year, unfortunately, for many people. And I think one of the reasons why it's stressful is that um, we always want to be in control of Christmas. We want to control the details. We want to make sh- make sure it's the perfect Christmas. You have the perfect gift or you have the perfect setting. Um, you're controlling your family and they're getting along. Um, this text is the exact opposite. We're not the ones in control. Mary certainly wasn't in control, um, but she knew the one who was in control and she humbly received that. And uh, I see that as a just a a nice illustration or application perhaps of let's let Christmas be in control of us rather than trying to be in control of Christmas. Okay. Yeah. So putting the focus back on God, his plans, his purposes, his fulfillment, rather than uh, imagining that this is all on us. Um, Yeah. Focusing on what God is doing for us. uh, And that relieves some of that burden that we might be feeling. Um, yeah, any other ideas, Nate? I think there would be a, uh, a fun opportunity here to just take some time to describe where Gabriel had been just before Luke 126 and where Mary was in her life just before Luke 126 and just talk about the, the, the totally different um, situation in life where they were, Gabriel in heaven, Mary in Nazareth. And yet here they are in this recorded eternally conversation that could give people a fresh look at a familiar story. Right, right. That's a good idea. Um, One more thing I'll mention, it just came up in our discussion before we started recording today. And that is that um, you have many different uh, opinions out there in the world on this account, the account of the Annunciation. Uh, Dave mentioned, I mean, uh, you, uh, from some corners of the scholarly world, you know, they would view this as um, a powerful being uh, imposing a pregnancy on a young defenseless woman and would kind of read the Annunciation account in that way. Um, and and I've, uh, I will say this too, I've met people who have undergone sexual assault or trauma uh, early in their lives, women who have, and that's what they think of too when they hear this account, you know, someone very powerful um, saying, without ever asking first, uh, you are going to become pregnant to Mary. So uh, I, it might be something preachers would address, I think, by pointing to Mary's reaction here. Um, you know, may it be to me as you have said, may your word be to me be fulfilled. Later in Luke 1, when she goes to the home of Elizabeth and praises God for this, I think that indicates her posture toward what's going on here and really helps us in, interpret it. Um, but it's a, it's a sensitivity preachers may want to have as they approach this text that I, something that I hadn't really thought of before I'd uh, encountered that. Um, any further thoughts or advice for preachers on that? Um just something to consider, Dave. Yeah, no, I appreciate you you bringing that up, and I do I do think that so much of the the tension from those who might be inclined to see this as a um, a negative is when it's put into purely human terms of of how 
um, a man might impregnate a woman and everything that might be involved with that. And yet this text elevates that reality so far above that, that type of thought where mm-hmm. um, it's interesting. Luke is a doctor. He's educated. And yet the best he does when, when uh, uh, recording these words is simply saying, how, how, how will this happen? Um, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Uh, there's no need to get into um, the details uh, about how that looks, but we can certainly say it was in a gracious way. It was in a, a loving way. It was in a way in which um, Mary, as you mentioned, uh, was to, to, to give glory to God in the future. And so I think we can be sensitive to some of those concerns, but also um, take the time to emphasize how uh, this is a, tr- a truly gracious account of a loving God intervening in, into history and uh, and say that with, with confidence. Yeah. Good summary. Uh, any further thoughts or uh, closing ideas for preachers? Um, all right. If not, we'll wrap it up for today. The Lord bless you, preachers, as you proclaim God's announcement via Gabriel to Mary. Uh, His son is about to be born. And as you lead people to rejoice in the grace that is here in this beautiful account.